Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the Buckswire Podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Buckswire editor, Luke Easterling. All right, welcome into the program. We have some fun stuff planned for this week, including some NFL draft odds and prop bets talk. But uh, Luke, right out of the gate, the Bucks have added another veteran player who would love to put a ring on it. And it's that's uh, former Bengals running back Giovanni Bernard. Uh, fans who have played fantasy football, especially like the PPR leagues, probably know about this player. Fans who don't care about fantasy probably don't know a ton about him, right? Because he's been a Bengal for eight years. Uh, but this is a player that Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, and the Bucks coveted, right? They went on and got him. And, and to me, that signals that they have a clear role in mind for Gio Bernard, and they think he can help the team. Yeah, I, I love the move. And, and one of my things that I always gravitate towards when, when a team adds a new player is if you want to know what kind of player you're getting, watch the reaction of his former team's fans and see how they feel about him leaving. And that will tell you a lot of what you need to know about what kind of player you're getting. And the fact that most Bengals fans are really not happy to be to, to see Gio Bernard go and are re- literally go, go search social media. You'll find so many messages, you know, thanking him and wishing him well and telling Bucks fans, you are getting a fantastic football player, a guy, a great teammate, a great person. So many wonderful things to say about Gio Bernard, the kind of player and person he was. So all of that to say, I think this is a great move for the Bucks. We talked to Gio earlier today, and you know he, he's very good friends with James White, who was Tom Brady's running back out of the backfield in New England for a lot of his career. And so there were conversations between him and James White that really – were a big reason why I think he ended up in Tampa Bay because he, you know, he feels like I think he can fill that role for Tom Brady this season. And that's something that we've talked about it all season. The Bucks don't have a lot of needs, but they don't have that receiving specialist, that James White type of presence that Brady has had for so much of his career, right? They've got a couple of early down specialists in, in Fournette and Ronald Jones that are going to share the ball there. Still don't really know what we have in Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, who didn't see the field much as a rookie and doesn't look like he's going to see the field much this year. Not anymore. Nope. Um, So, but you, you needed that third down guy, right? You needed that guy who, who can't just, isn't just going to be, you know, a pass catcher out of the backfield, which Gio Bernard does very, very well, but he's also a very good pass blocker, very smart guy, very physical guy, even though he's smaller, he's, you know, he talked about that today. He takes so much pride in his pass protection. He's just, he understands that the quarterback's the most important guy on the team usually. And he doesn't want to be the guy that, screws it up uh, to, to quote him. He doesn't want to be the guy that gives up the block that gives up the sack. And, and that shows on film because he attacks the, the pass pro job uh, with a lot of pride, I think. So, I mean, again, from what Bengals fans are telling me, he's, he's a fantastic teammate and a guy to, that you want to have. Uh, I spoke to other people who basically said that he was basically the starting running back for most of his time there. I know people look at him as more of a, a change of pace role player guy, but he was so consistent for that team and did everything at a high level 
that, you know, yes, Joe Mixon is probably more talented, but in terms of getting the job done on a snap-by-snap basis, Gio Bernard really seems like he was the engine that made that offense go in a, in a lot of ways. So, again, the Bucks did not have very many needs going into this offseason. They kept so many of those players. They got the whole starting lineup back, but one of those very few things was they needed a third-down specialist at running back. They needed a guy who could, you know, protect the passer, catch the ball out of the backfield, and Gio Bernard is the perfect fit for that, and I think it's a fantastic move. There should be some type of trickle-down effect here, right, uh, Luke? Like, okay, so on the depth chart, now we have Leonard Fournette. He's back. We have Ronald Jones. We have Gio Bernard, and we have Keyshawn Vaughn, as you said. So we have four running backs, and a lot of mock drafts, including your, some of your own, have been mocking some of the running backs to the Bucks at number 32, whether it's Najee Harris earlier on in the process when he was slipping, but uh, Clemson's Travis Etienne. H-N. Oh, H-N. HN. That's what that's oh. what he said. He told Steve Smith on HN. NFL Network that people have been pronouncing it wrong since he got to Clemson and he literally just got tired of correcting people, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I let's thought... call people by their names, which it doesn't take that much work. It's HN. 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 Travis HN. Okay, so Travis HN from Clemson, and then you got North Carolina's Javante Williams. So these are these three running backs that have been getting mocked and are expected to go probably in the top forty picks or so, right? All three of them. Uh, and, you know, obviously the Bucks were a popular pick there at number 32, but you got to think now the trickle down, uh, where are you going to fit? You just drafted Vaughn last year, like, unless you're bringing in a guy to push him, like, I, I can't really see them spending an early round draft pick on a running back now, can you? No, not at all. And I think even in my Bucks mock drafts, they either had a running back in that first round pick, whoever fell to them, right, whether it was any of those three guys, or in the, you know, third or fourth round, I had them taking a more change of pace guy. Demetric Felton is a guy from UCLA that I really like. Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis, you know, those role player type guys who excel as receivers in particular, but because obviously of of the specific role that, you know, Bernard is coming to Tampa Bay to fill. I think that takes that off the board too. I don't think that they'll even target a running back in the middle or late rounds either, because like you said, you've already, you know what you have and you know what you're getting in Rojo and, and playoff Lombardi Lenny, whatever he's called now. Um, and then you've got the third down role that's going to go to Bernard because he's the veteran. He knows what, how to do with that. I think he's a huge upgrade over LaShawn McCoy. Um, and then Keyshawn Vaughn, who was a healthy scratch for, I think, six games last year. He, you know, there was already a loaded backfield. And I think when you look at what this team has, has done in the offseason to bring back Fournette and now to, to add Bernard it, it says a lot about how much they really don't care, I think, if Sean Vaughn sees the field or not as a running back. Yep, I don't think they're really concerned it. with it. That's a pretty neat trick by uh, Fournette, right? Coming in, winning one soup, one one championship, and your nickname's Lombardi Lenny. Like That's that's a neat trick that he pulled off to get that nickname. I like that. Hey, hey, when you well do what done. he did in the playoffs, you uh, can call yourself whatever the hell you want. <laughs> that's true. That touchdown that touchdown run was freaking phenomenal. That I, I almost I got to go back and watch the highlights of that thing. I forgot how much of a thing of beauty that was. Well, the Bucks have also brought back Steve McClendon, the defensive lineman they traded the Jets for last season, ended up being a huge depth piece uh, when Vita Vea went down. So, I don't know. We're going into the draft here in a couple weeks, and I'm I'm trying to find a, a weakness for the team. I can't really find it, Luke. I'm looking. I'm scouring the depth chart, and there's just not a lot of weaknesses on this team right now going into the draft. I guess that's not a bad thing for them. They can just kind of. They can just kind of pick whoever's on the top of their board, right? They can, like you was, they can kind of do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, and that's what you want to do, right? Yeah. I think everybody, every team wants to approach free agency with the mindset of let me fill as many of my needs as possible, so that when I go into the draft and I'm on the clock, I'm not pigeonholed into one or two positions, right? I don't want to have to pass up 
a really good corner who has no business being on the board at that point based on my grades because I have to take a tackle or I have to take a, a, a defensive lineman. I don't, I don't want to put myself in that position. So when the Bucks make these kinds of moves, when they bring in Gio Bernard and you get that pass-catching specialist at running back, now you don't need one anymore. You bring in a guy like Steve McClendon, yeah, he's 35, and yeah, he's only on a one-year deal, but it's a spot you don't have to fill. And again, roster spots are going to be really, really scarce this year in Tampa Bay. Yes, The Bucks have eight picks in this draft. They do not have eight roster spots open. For like we're talking about fifty-three man roster, particularly and obviously on, on game day forty-six, forty-eight, there are a lot of guys that aren't going to dress that that might get drafted. That's why, as I think we talked about last week, the Bucks are a prime candidate to trade up in this draft because they can't keep all those picks if they don't want to waste them, right? So when you look at re-signing a guy like Steve McClendon, what that tells me is, first of all, the Bucks know the obvious, which is that this draft sucks at interior defensive linemen. It's terrible. There's no other way to put it. There's no elite prospect at the top. There's no. I have no first-round grades in this class at all. No first-round defensive linemen in terms of interior guys at all. And it's not very deep. Usually, at least if you have a, a class that doesn't have like a, a really you know blue-chip guy at the top, at least you think, oh, well, there's some value though, right? There's some good guys in, the, in between. There's really not. There's really not. Man, I, I don't think this is a very strong defensive line class at all, and I think the Bucks know that. So... What do you do? You go get a proven veteran guy that filled in, like you said, very nicely. Nobody's Vita Vea, but Steve McClendon and, and the rest of that unit really did the best they could and, and kept that defense one of the more effective ones in the league most of that season that, that, uh, in that time that Vita Vea was out. So what the Bucks have done for themselves is check that off the list. They're like, we don't have to worry about reaching for a defensive lineman in a terrible defensive line class. But, but it also points the arrow in the other direction. What are the areas that the team has not really addressed in terms of depth moving into the draft? And there's two, two positions that stand out to me. I guess you could add offensive line to that, but they've really, you know, they've, they've done some, they've brought back some backups in that way too. But I look at, at the edge rush position, those outside linebackers. Yeah, you brought back Shaq Barrett, which was obviously the big move. But you've got JPP, who's on a, who's got one year left on his deal. He's 32. He just had knee surgery again. That knee's been bothering him forever, it feels like. Behind them, you've got Cam Gill, who's an undrafted free agent. You've got Anthony Nelson, who was a fourth-round pick a couple years ago, who's been who was banged up his rookie year, you know, showed some flashes last year. But there's really not a whole lot behind those guys. So I think defensive end, edge rusher is where I'm looking right now in, that, in terms of that first-round pick. And that's also where a lot of the talent, I think, stacks up really well for the Bucks in terms of when that's going to come off the board. I'm working on a three-round mock draft right now for DraftWire, and that seems to be a great spot to get value is, is getting one of those outside linebacker edge rusher guys. And I also think wide receiver should be a wild card here, and that's because Antonio Brown is not signed as of this moment. Yes, they have Scotty Miller, who you know I love. Yes, they have Tyler Johnson, who you know I love. But if there was ever a time for a luxury pick, it's when you're at 32, you've got your whole Super Bowl roster coming back, and you can just say, you know what? One of these really explosive, undersized slot receiver types, Rondale Moore from Purdue, Darius Toney from Florida, Elijah Moore from uh, Ole Miss, one of those guys is there on the board at 32. Why not give Tom Brady a 4-3 speed guy and throw him in that offense? You've got to cover Mike Evans. You've got to cover Chris Godwin. You've got to cover Gronk. you got Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, O.J. Howard's back, Cameron Braid's back. And, oh, yeah, we're going to throw in a first-round pick who can run 4-3 on top of that? Are you kidding me? Like, that's, those are the two positions where I really feel like the, everything the books have done this offseason points toward those positions being prioritized in the first round.
That's an embarrassment of riches you Bucks fans have right now. Uh, so good for you. You know what I mean? And, another uh, another thing to keep in mind on the receiver thing, too, is Chris Goblin's only on the franchise tag now. True. He has not signed his long-term deal. And obviously, I expect one to get done, but that's also a lot of money to spend on wide receivers. So if you have any sort of doubt whatsoever that you're going to be able to lock him up to a long-term deal, spending the number 32 pick on a receiver who might be good enough to take his place would, you know, would be, be behoove you to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there, there'll be guys, like you just said, there'll be guys there at the end of the first round for sure. There'll be plenty of names. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, I did need a little bit of a therapy session from you, Luke. I know you're just the guy to help me out with this. Obviously, Julian Edelman, uh, well, on Monday, it seemed like he got released. But then shortly after he announced his retirement, I'm not sure how that thing works. Probably just a contract thing, the way they worked that thing out. The way I read it, actually, is that them releasing him with the injury, the failed physical designation, allows him to uh, collect from like a very specific um, injury fund within the NFL that allows him basically to collect about $2 million this year because it's a failed physical designation and he was still under contract. That's from what I understand. I think I read it was Ian Rappaport or somebody retweeted it, but, but that's why it's important for them to kind of go through that process in the way they did. Makes sense. Okay. I thought they'd do something like that for him. That, that makes more sense than I, I didn't think they were screwing them over, him over, but it just seemed weird how that thing played out. But obviously Edelman retiring. So Patriots fans, we've been suffering a lot lately, Luke. I know the the nation's feeling terrible for us out here in New England. Patriots nation. Yeah, there's there's a Justin Timberlake cry me a river <laughs> gift coming your way, pal. I'm dying over here. So uh love me, Julian Edelman. It's that that's a bummer. Uh but it was funny, there was two immediate reactions on social media when this went down. Um and the first one of them was definitely just wait, Bruce Arians, Tom Brady. <laughs> Rob Gronkowski, they're going to come a calling around week 10 of the season, Luke. And Edelman will be like, you know what, coach? I got a few games left in me. I'm coming to Tampa, right? That was like immediate right on Twitter. Everyone's like, yeah, right, Julian. We'll see you in Tampa Bay by week 10, you know? So first of all, if you listen to Edelman's retirement announcement when he was sitting there on, his, on the chair on the Gillette Stadium turf and he says Foxborough forever, I, that would I, I just don't picture him coming out of retirement and going to Tampa week 10. I just think, and you just kind of listed off all the wide receivers they have anyway. You know what I mean? Like maybe they don't need a banged up in Julian Edelman on his last legs anyway. But I think that thing is, uh, I kind of don't agree with that. I, I think he's actually done. But what do you think about that chatter about everyone's, you know, just kind of brushing it off. No, no, no. We'll see you in Tampa with your friends, uh, Tommy and Gronky, right, in Tampa. What do you think about that? Oh, I had a blast with it, man. I, I, I quote tweeted the, the news report and just said, come on down. And boy, Bucks fans would not did not like that. They were not <laughs> happy. I had to very quickly respond and let everybody know that was a joke, that that was not going to happen. So why did they react Obviously, so negatively? I don't know. They just they don't I don't think I think they don't want to turn into like Patriots South. <laughs> like what, they want to build their own is. thing. Like There's they I think they already thing, feel like Brady got too much credit for the fact that there was a really good team already here. Like I don't think Brady could have gone to the Chargers and gone to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl, I guess is what I'm saying. Like he was a big part of it, but there was a really good football team here that he came to. And I think they they want the rest of the team to get credit for that, I guess. Or they just don't think that Edelman is as good as he, you know, as some people think he was. I, I don't know what the reaction was, but it was very strong, and they did not really want him very much. So, um, you know, I guess he could come out of, you know, in week 10, but I I, th- I don't know if he has any meniscus left, and I don't think they'll grow back by week 10. I think so, it's floating around in his knee as we speak. I, yeah, I don't know if it's a great idea, but, I mean, we had fun with it, right? At, you know, Gronkowski, somebody accosted him outside the airport in L.A. Leave people alone, by the way. Watching that video was just really awkward. It's like you're following this football player while, especially in the middle of a pandemic, like 
trying to get his thoughts on Julian Edelman retiring. Like, let him walk to the car in peace, man. Come on. But whatever. You know, he Gronk was nice about it. He gave him some great quotes. You know, told him, told everybody he'll be back. There's a 69% chance that he'll come back and play for the Bucks. he said, with an obvious laugh and a wink. <laughs> um, very, very nice response there from him. Um, but, you know, it, it, you have fun with it. At the end of the day, what an incredible, iconic, particularly in the playoffs, career that he's had. If this is, you know, if this is the end indeed for him, I mean, no regrets, right? I mean, this is a guy. What part of what Gronk said in that video was that he's a guy who, who left it all out there, man. And he's that's the kind of teammate that that you have to have a high respect for as a guy who. I mean, and go back to his his origin story, man. I mean, this is a kid it's came out, out of California, yeah. is a quarterback in college, I mean, ends up being a late round pick. He's converted to wide receiver and becomes one of the most iconic playoff figures of of our generation, man. That's just a fantastic story. And again, I know we'll get into it, but like people want to make this about the Hall of Fame and whether or not he deserved. Can we just appreciate players without having to, to immediately have that conversation? Like, I feel like it almost re- detracts from their their legacy sometimes when we have to make it all about, you know, all these players have to make the Hall of Fame. Let's just appreciate the fact that what he did on the field and how he went about his business and what he came from to accomplish in his career is incredible. You don't necessarily need a bust or a gold jacket to justify that or, or define that for you. But man, what, what a career and, and good for him. All right, coming up next, we're going to use Luke's expertise to our advantage, and we're all going to prosper on some NFL draft prop bets. We'll be right back. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, if you're into the sports betting, the NFL Draft is the place to be. There's all kinds of prop bets to kind of sink your teeth into, all kinds of different ways you can go. Uh, For me, I think a good place to start, Luke, is uh, they have props on every single pick inside the top 10. Now, I don't think there's a ton of value in picks one and two. I think Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson appear to be the runaway favorites there. But it starts to get a little crazy right at pick number three with the 49ers and Mac Jones. Now, Mac Jones is the favorite and kind of a high favorite here when you look at some of the other ones. He's minus 250 on my app. And that's where it gets really interesting, right? If it's a smoke screen by the 49ers, there might be some value in a Justin Fields at plus 250. There might be a nice underdog and Trey Lance at plus 350 so there might be some really good sneaky value at number three if you don't believe in the Mac Jones type what do you think about that he, he is a decent favorite but I think that's that's where you could win is is the fact that there's been so much buzz in that direction that it gets to the point where you're like okay this is fishy <laughs> I don't know about this and then you look at the fact that this week Justin Fields and Trey Lance both are having additional pro days. They've each already had one. They're going to have another one. And not just that, we heard it from Ian Rappaport at NFL Network this week that both Trey Lance and Justin Fields actually worked with Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers to incorporate concepts, throws, routes, and drills that are specific to his scheme, specific to things he likes to see in order to give them that audition basically at their second pro day. So this, those two pro days are absolutely auditioning to be the number three pick in this draft over Mac Jones. 
And I think the fact that Shanahan and John Lynch are going to be attending both of those, it, it, it actually points toward the fact that this is not a done deal, not a, a done decision. And if you just look at these prospects in a vacuum, and, and in my opinion, Justin Fields should easily be the number two pick in this draft. He's, I don't think he's going to be, but he should be. And Trey Lance, he and both, Trey Lance both are, are head and shoulders above Mac Jones, in my opinion, as a prospect. If you're, if you're thinking like I am that the, the 49ers will, will see the, the light and come to their senses by the time draft day rolls around and actually pick a quarterback that deserves to be picked at number three after trading two future first-round picks to get there instead of Mac Jones, you could make some money there. Falcons at number four, right? Another wild card. They're shopping the pick. They could finish the run on QBs, Luke. They could go with Kyle Pitts, who I think we all are starting to – we're starting to feel it, right? He's probably – the first non-quarterback taken and the Falcons could definitely take him. He's the favorite to go there. Or you could pick like, you could go a little bit outside the box with like a Penny Sewell. Who's at plus 1600 to go. Number four or Jamar chase plus 1200. I feel like there's some sneaky value there at number four, because we don't really know what the Falcons are going to do, but Kyle Pitts is a big favorite right there at plus 150. What do you think about the Falcons? What are you hearing there? Yeah, I think honestly, Pitts is the only guy I feel comfortable with in terms of a non-quarterback going at that pick. Um, even with a trade up, I don't see any of those other guys really making sense there. I, I don't see anybody valuing Jamar Chase enough, in my opinion, to jump ahead of a team like Cincinnati, who would obviously love to have him and reunite him with Joe Burrow. I just don't see the value there in terms of how deep this wide receiver class is. If you trade up and pay what it would cost to go up to get Chase, you could just wait and get a, a player with you know that's not not the same guy, but comparable enough to not have to give up all that you know collateral. I, I guess what what I would say at number four is I expect it to be a quarterback or Ty, or Kyle Pitts, and I don't. I, I would honestly, it's fifty fifty whether the Falcons are going to be in that spot at all because if the if the Falcons stay there and they realize, hey, we're paying Matt Ryan, uh, he's got a forty million dollar cap hit for twenty twenty two, so. <laughs> If we're going to try to do something with this over the next two years, give him Kyle Pitts and give him some help and give him a playmaker and we'll have some fun with it. But you also have Hayden Hurst already. You've got Julio. You've got Calvin Ridley. You've got weapons already. You really need a running back to balance out the offense, honestly. And if they stay there and they say, listen, Trey Lance is on the – he's a year away from starting anyway, so if we can sit him for a year, maybe two, we're, not, we're hoping not to pick this high again for a while, so let's just go ahead and take the quarterback. Then Trey Lance goes for and sits in Atlanta for a couple of years. Or you realize if you're Atlanta, Kyle Pitts is nice and he's a luxury and we'd love to have that kind of guy, but we really need a lot of other stuff. We need pass rushers. We need uh, help on defense. We just lost, you know, both of our safeties. We've got so, you know, like I said, we need running back help. So if, if one of those teams, Denver at nine, even as far back as new England at 15, if Justin Fields, Trey Lance, either of those guys are there at four, I'm taking the best deal. I'm making them compete with one another. I'm dropping back to nine or 15 and stockpiling picks to fill those other positions and get better value and build around Matt Ryan for the next couple of years and, and try to make sure I'm nowhere near number four for a long time. So another thing you can do with these bets is you can bet on which team will select the player. So as you were just saying, Luke, like number four overall, if you're betting Kyle Pitts goes number four, you're not betting that the Falcons takes him. You're just you're just betting that he goes number four. But you can also bet the team to draft the player. And I look at like a Micah Parsons to the Patriots at plus 700 at number 15. I just feel like if he slides a little bit, if Parsons does slide into that area, I just feel like that's a Belichick kind of pick, right? He'd sit there and wait it out, take a guy that was projected to go in the top 10, 
put a linebacker in the middle of his defense, put him behind Dante Hightower and kind of groom him. Like, I don't know. That just seems like a Belichickian kind of pick. And then another one with the Patriots is you can, you know, you can bet on the team to draft Justin Fields. And the Patriots are at plus 1,800. I know you had a fun mock draft that had the Patriots going up to get Fields either at number four with the Falcons. We could even see them doing it at number eight or number nine maybe in this draft if, if Fields were to somehow slip through, which I agree with you. I don't think he should, but maybe, you know, maybe. But Pat's plus 1,800 to go and get Fields. I think you sprinkle a little bit on that thing. And if it happens, A, for Patriots fans, that would be awesome, right? We'd all be doing cartwheels in our living rooms out here in uh, in New England. And also, you'd make a little bit of money because those are pretty good odds. Yeah, they really are. And and if you look at that mock draft, like you said, that I that I just had recently where they move up to four to get fields, the one I'm about to publish a draft wire on Thursday morning has Micah Parsons slipping to 15, and I absolutely have him going to New England. I, I think it's just like you said. I, I think it's that, that situation where there are some off-field concerns with, with him that are going to need to be, you know, weighed for, for each team. They're going to have to feel comfortable uh, that that's not going to be an issue moving forward. But as a player, we've talked about him before. I mean, you know, we saw what Devin White did for the Bucks defense this past year. Michael Parsons is that kind of player. He's that kind of athlete. He's actually bigger. I think he's 6'2", 6'3", Devin White's 6 foot. But that similar big physical three-down guy, incredible athlete, great tackler, can cover, can hit, really smart player. He's got it all, man. So it, it, you could definitely see that much of a slide. I think he's a top 10 prospect in this draft. But if he gets past, you know, Denver at nine, if they get a chance to get a quarterback or maybe they go offensive tackle, if he gets past Philly at 12, Philly really needs a wide receiver. So I, I don't know if they'd take a guy like Parsons at linebacker over a Jalen Waddle or a Devontae Smith. They very easily could see Parsons still on the board at 15 for New England. If that happens, I think it's a very easy pick for them. All right, folks, plus 700, seven to one. Patriots to draft Micah Parsons. I, I like it. That, that that thing has a little bit of juice. And usually, Luke, I cheat and I prep on your stuff on, on the Bucks wire or the draft wire before I come on here, but you haven't posted that one yet. So I have not cheated. That was actually my own take that lined up with you, the expert. So uh, you're well rubbing, done. you've been rubbing off on me, my man. Uh, I love it. <laughs> so, okay, one more. And you know what? You can just override this if you have uh, an, another one out there that you like. I'm not sure how much you've scoured over these prop bets yet, but um, the Bengals at number five, I think, is super interesting because Sewell is the favorite. Uh, but we also have the uh, the Jamar Chase connection with Burrow, right? And Chase is plus 175 to go number five. And if the Bengals stay put uh, and Sewell and Chase are both on the board, that would be an interesting little thing for him, right? I mean... You can get the stud receiver that you know has a connection with Burrow, or you could get the guy that's going to help Burrow not shred his knee again uh, and, and kind of shore up that offensive line a little bit. So I think that that pick at number five is also super interesting. But go ahead and override that if you got something better. Four, five, and six are going to be really fun, right? If Atlanta stays at four and they take Kyle Pitts, that makes it a little less interesting. But if they don't and a quarterback goes in that spot, whether it's to them or somebody else, you got to think, Cincinnati's at five and could take Chase, Pitts, or Sewell. Miami's at six, and they'll take whoever's they'll take whoever between the two that are still there, whoever doesn't go. And then you got the Lions at seven, who are probably hoping it's Chase or Pitts. But if it's Sewell, I think they'd take him too. So yeah. in my opinion, I think it, it comes down to what the Bengals are going to prefer in terms of the fact that they, they love Jonah Williams at left tackle. They just brought in Riley Reese, the veteran, to play right tackle. And honestly, if you draft Sewell at five, 
he could play guard as a rookie. I, I think there have been some people that are like, oh, he's not too tall. He's not, his arms aren't long enough. I don't give a crap about any of that. The dude can play. And if he can't play tackle for you, you need a new career. But if you feel like, hey, Riley Reef's our right tackle right now, at least for this year, we can start. The biggest need on that offensive line is right guard. So you could put Sewell at right guard as a rookie, slide him back out to tackle and do whatever you want to do after that. But he's obviously worthy of that pick. It'll tell us how much pull Joe Burrow has, though, I think. If he's able to convince them, I want my guy. I need Jamar Chase so we can keep doing what we were doing, that that incredible – I mean, he had the best career – the best season a quarterback has ever had in college football history when he was throwing to that guy when he was wearing number one at LSU. So – I think that's that's where I'd go with that pick. I, I think even if it's between Sewell and Chase, I think because you want to do whatever you can to make Joe Burrow happy, and the fact that this tackle class, again, is very, very deep. I could see very, very good options at tackle and guard there at 38 when they pick again in the early part of the second round. I say you give the quarterback whatever he wants at five, and we'll live to play another day. We'll talk about it at 38 and take the best offensive lineman available. I think there's some money to be made there with Chase at five. Okay, so if I'm taking my notes correctly, we like Micah Parsons to the Patriots at plus 700. Uh, Do I need to have a disclaimer on this in case, you know, I end up completely <laughs> no, wrong about no, all this? People, this is not... People could yell at me. No, we're, we're talking about uh, one unit, a $5 bet, guys. We're, we're not talking about going crazy here. Uh, Jamar Chase to the Bengals at number five at plus 175. That's a nice little bet. Uh, maybe look at Kyle Pitts going number four. First non-quarterback off the board. He's at plus 150 to go number four. And maybe... Maybe just maybe Justin Fields plus two fifty um, to go to number three because he is by far you know as Luke said the second best quarterback on the board so doesn't hurt to take a flyer there. How are my notes? Are my notes okay? I love it. All right, beautiful. Let Luke, me know how we do in a couple weeks. <laughs> I will. I'll try to remind you. There's Luke Easterling. Check out his stuff on the Draft Wire and Bucks Wire, please, will you? Uh, Luke, I hope you're you're ready. I woke up on Monday and I thought the draft was next week, but we actually still have two weeks to go. I was really disappointed. I'm like, shoot. We still have two weeks to go. It it's going like, to be a slog, man. It's, it's going to be slow build, be slow it? going here oh, for a while. Remember the, remember the year they didn't have it until like May 8th <laughs> and everybody was like, if you ever do that again, we're, we're just going to burn it all down. It's killing me, but we'll, uh, we'll be back with more next week. We'll talk to you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.